Welcome to the Mindset for Runners podcast, helping you to access and unlock your true potential as an athlete. This episode is brought to you by Raidlight Australia. I've been running in Raidlight gear for the last six months now, and I love it. They make everything you need to get out there and get amongst it on the trails. A pure trail running company founded and made in the French Alps, Raidlight has now expanded to Australia. So check out their stuff, raidlight.com.au. That's R-A-I-D-L-I-G-H-T.com.au. Or follow Raidlight Australia on Instagram. Hey, it's Rob. Welcome to the episode, How to Deal with Injury. I'm really excited about the information I'm going to share, and I am going to start with a disclaimer. This is just information for you to cherry pick things that may work for you, that sit with you or land with you. Again, this is just things that I've used myself in the recent couple of months or researched that I thought might help you. So I'm going to get straight into it. This episode is not linear. I'm just going to jump from idea to idea. Whatever you think will help you or you haven't thought about, try it on and see if it gives you a result. Let's start off here. Being injured sucks and being injured is a gift. And they're the two paradigms that I want you to hold as we go through this episode. Life is not black and white, it's grey and injury is exactly the same. I'm going to start with a quote from one of my favourite authors, uh, runner, Matt Fitzgerald. Now, Matt wrote one of my favorite all-time books, which is called How Bad Do You Want It? He's got a great podcast called 80-20. He's written a book called The Comeback Quotient. But I want to talk to you from Matt's perspective, and I'm going to start with this quote from Matt. Athletes who fail to make the best of a bad situation turn away from reality, whereas athletes capable of achieving great comebacks face reality squarely. So that's the frame that I'm going to throw over this podcast for you before we get started because the biggest word I want you to think about today as we're going through this is acceptance. I'm going to dive straight into the five stages of grief uh, from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross because they strongly, strongly apply to being injured. Now, normally it's thought in the in the uh, context of losing a loved one or dealing with some kind of loss. Remember, grieving means I've lost something. And when you're injured, you've lost something that's either very important to you, is, is habitual to you, or it's got a whole lot of meaning wrapped up in it. So you're running or you're athletic, whatever, whatever sport you're doing, it's a huge part of your life. You spend money on it. You spend time on it. You organize your life around time. It means things to you. It's a, it's a place for you to express who you are and you connect with people and you feel better about yourself and you, you, know, you eat to train and you do your strength and you do your listening to the podcast and all this kind of stuff and all of a sudden, boom, you're not doing it. So your body naturally starts to grieve the loss of something. Now, I'm going to talk to you quickly through the five stages of grief if you don't know them because they are really, really good to know if you have um, lost a loved one or someone important to you in your life or if you've lost a job or if you've lost something that was important to you, running, surfing, kayaking, snowboarding, triathlon, whatever it is. So the five stages of grief, as we understand them from a psychological perspective, start with denial. Then move to anger. So you're moving through these and, and, and the, basically there's no time frame that they give to move through them. It's everybody's going to be different. Um, 
but just try and apply these to injury. So denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. So if I put this over my current injury, which I'm currently dealing with, denial is, oh, you know what? It's all right. It's just a little little bit of a hot spot. It's fine. I'll just keep on going through it, and then it gets worse. Oh, you know what? Uh, I've increased my mileage, so you know, you know, it's just normal. I mean, everyone's got nickels, right? Every runner my age is deal with deals with nickels, so you know, I haven't got it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm starting to change the way I run. Uh, the pain starting to increase. Starting to make it worse, and it's like, oh, you know what? Uh, my body's just adapting, right? So I'm, I was. In that stage, in those sentences, I'm completely denying that something's going on, even though all of the signs are pointing to the fact that the injury is getting worse and um, it's, it's progressing as an injury more than just a little niggle. I'm going to stop here for a caveat that I need to throw in. I do not want to suggest that every time you feel a niggle, a little bit of pain or a hot spot or whatever you call it in your body that it is an injury. I do not want to suggest that at all. This is one of the caveats I want to throw in it. Um, it's individual. Your relationship with pain, your pain threshold, your pain tolerance are all individual, right? One of my problems is I do have a high tolerance to pain, which allows me to push through in a long ultra and get it done or, or chase down somebody in ultra or hit the mountain hard, you know, at the 130 kilometer mark of a 100 miler and I can still go hard because I can push through pain but where it's come back to bite me over the years is when I push through the pain in training and I and I say she'll be right and I keep on going and that is again the gray area the two sides to every thing that is is this thing called life so I'm not saying if you have a niggle you know you're injured I'm not saying that at all this is this is why I'm just going to keep throwing out these little caveats so denial that's that's the first thing is you completely deny that you have the injury and you keep training you keep doing your program as your coach's program and you basically put the blinders on and go blah, 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 blah. I'm not listening to injury blah 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 and you go anger is why does this happen to me all the time it oh, just when I'm getting into good shape, this happens. It happens to me every single time and I'm sick of it, right? I was just doing what I, I was doing my program so well. I was eating so well. Everything was going really well. And now this, right? And of course, you know what anger is, but I just want to give you an example of what an approach to the injury would be. The bargaining phase is when you are sick of being ang- angry at your injury. You realize it's not going to get any worse, like being angry at one of your kids. You're the one that's going to suffer. So you move into the bargaining phase, which is, ah, oh, if only I'd broken my right leg instead of my left, then I'd be able to still kick a ball with the kids. Or if only, blah, you know, I, I've done, um, if only I'd just um, got the stress fracture a little bit early when it was just edema before it turned into a fracture, then I would have been a bit better. Or, you know, and you start to kind of pivot reality a little bit to try and make it feel better for you. And, and that's that bargaining phase. I wish I'd got sick after the race instead of before it. Because you know what? That would have changed everything. So you're trying to make a deal with the injury or, or the sickness or whatever it is that's, that set you back and, and not facing reality, basically. The next phase is depression. And that is, like I said before, you've lost your running buddies. You've lost your... F- you're feeling good, you're endorphins every day, you've lost your good habits that you had, you start to go into some projection, which I'm going to talk about next, and that's when you slump, right? I'm not saying you have to slump, right? Again, this is the, you can move through depression in an hour, 
or a day or a week, right? So again, there's no time frame, but this is a phase where you could get stuck, right? Same as in life, if you're grieving something in life, you can get stuck here if you don't understand this this progression and this model and how to move through it. So you get depressed because you've lost all of the good things that running brings to your life and you haven't put anything in place to either replace them or to to bring those good feelings and those positive emotions and those positive habits you've had in your life. You haven't rebuilt them in a different context that you can do. So that's the depression phase. The last phase is acceptance. Now, acceptance is exactly as it says, I now realize I have this injury and there's no emotion around it, right? There's no, oh, if it was only earlier or if it was only a little bit better or if it was only higher in my leg or if it was only my left arm or my right arm or if it only happened later or earlier, blah, 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 blah. That, uh, I just realized I said blah, blah, blah a few times this podcast, so forgive me. My, my six-year-old has been saying it a lot to his, his sister, so it's uh, kind of stuck in my head. So when you can accept something, and, and the Buddhists always look for those three states of you know, enthusiasm and acceptance, and the other one that always I forget. <laughs> but if you can be in that state of acceptance, that's when you can move forward. And that's where we want to get to you if you are currently injured and you're not yet there. Because as we learned in Brett Canellan's the interview with Brett Canellan a few episodes ago, when you can move from acceptance, which is what he did when he was attacked by that shark on Bombo Beach that night, to appreciation for what happened to you, you transcend the whole experience and you grow from it. And that is why I said injury sucks and injury is a gift. Because when you can get to that, ha, I've accepted this and now I see all of the positive reasons that this injury has happened for me. And you can start to list them, which I'll go into a little bit later in the episode. But I hope you're already starting to, to, to get a few in your mind of why it can be the biggest gift that ever happened to you in your athletic whatever it is that you've chosen, right? Running for me. Um, so there's the five stages of grief. The ideal is that you move through them quickly. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience because I've currently, um, I'm currently um, dealing with an injury um, and rehabbing it and healing from it. So I sulked for I was going to say I was going to say three days, but if you ask my wife and kids, probably closer to seven. Uh, but I definitely so, so I'll go with seven. Then they're probably right. I sulked for seven days. I was like, I was in that sulking, um, I guess, denial and anger phase of I it hurt to go running. I was making things worse, and I was going through the stages of grief. I'm going to say to you, it's okay to do that, not just because I did it and I'm trying to normalize what I did, but you have full permission to feel your emotions fully. So go into the sulk, go into the, all the things that, you've, that you're grieving, that you love, go, go into the, I'm now not going to make my race either at all, which is in my case, I had to cancel something that my team and I had been building for six months not cancel it, but postpone it. 
Um, but for you, if you're training for a race and you have a setback, then maybe you're going to miss a week or two or three or four through your injury illness. Maybe you're going to have to pull out of the race and, and have a DNS that did not start, um, which I have done in uh, over the years many times, um, and it's really hard to cope with. But, but go into those emotions and feel them fully. Don't deny them. Do not deny them because it's important to you, right? Your running's important. Your goal's important. Otherwise, you wouldn't have said it and gone for it, right? So I sulked for what we've now agreed is seven days, right? And then um, for me, I go into um, like action mode because I'm a bit of a problem solver. So I want to solve the problem as quickly as I can. Now, I wonder if you can see where I am in the five stages of grief but in this stage i'm i'm trying to find out as much as i can about what's gone on with me now for me in the past i was a lone wolf so i still am a lone wolf a bit i still am a lone wolf so which means what i'm saying is i want to do everything by myself don't need anyone's help don't need to rely on anybody completely independent completely self-sufficient but when it comes to being injured and for me, it bites me because I don't go and seek help. I go try and find out what's wrong with me, either from um, talking to other runners or um, going on the internet, which we all done, done googling symptoms, trying to put it together, um, continuing to train, and and just really tuning into: Am I making it worse? Um, is the pain con- um, is it continuing when I stop running? And these are some of the reasons, th- questions you can ask yourself between. Am I sore or am I injured, right? So if you're sore, it's generalized. Oh, again, again, caveat thrown in here, general information. It's generalized pain. So the area of your body is is sore because of you're pushing hard or you're doing a big workout or it's a long run or you're in the middle of a race and you're sore. An injury is more localized than pinpoint. And that's that's the way that I always think of it when I'm running. So it's, it's a definite point in your hip that's exactly the same time point every time you go running as opposed to my knees sore you know so think about those two things and yes it, if if it's injury um it is persisting when you've stopped running and then further down you start to change your gait change the way you run to protect it because it's hurting so much so so these are all kind of ways that you can tell between injury and pain Swelling again. That's that's indicative of injury rather than than pain. So for me, um, I, I would continue to train and hope that it goes away, or I would change a few things that I do, shorten my running stride, which is always good. Listen to the interview with Gary Wheeler about that um, and how to avoid injury. Um, so f- f- where I'm going with this is, lone wolf stuff doesn't help you recover from an injury. You need to get diagnosis. And then do your research, right? Don't do your research before your diagnosis because you're going to end up doing prolonging your recovery time. So you want to get a great diagnosis from someone who knows what they're doing, whether that means getting imaging, so ultrasound, x-ray, MRI, or CT, or whatever you need to get an accurate diagnosis. When you've realized you're injured, not sore, that's when you need to get that accurate diagnosis so you know what you're dealing with. And um, so for, for me, 
once I realized it wasn't just high mileage soreness that I was dealing with, which I, I, I'm quite used to that pain, I got an MRI and, I, and then I got the report and then I saw a sports physiologist, sorry, a um, sports physician, my apologies, a, a sports doctor, discussed the results of the MRI with her and got an accurate diagnosis. And then once you've got your diagnosis, that's when you go into how much can I find out about this injury and research the heck out of it to find ways that um, you can take control of your recovery. Many years ago when I first started running, it would have been 2008, not that I first started running, but, but I, that's when I started to increase my mileage. I had really bad ITB pain, which I'm sure if you're a runner and you're listening to this, you've experienced on the outside of your knee where your ITB, a point of attachment on the outside of your knee, it's called runner's knee because most of us get it at some point. I had it and it wouldn't go away. I ran through it. It got worse and worse and worse. I went to see a sports doctor. Um, he told me what it was and to not run for six months. That was his diagnosis. I just took that on face value and he said, after six months, I'm going to run around the oval once. And then the next week, I want, to, want you to run around the oval twice. And then the next week, blah, 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 you get it. There's my blah, blah, blah from my six-year-old. <laughs> Talk about habit building. There you go. I built a habit. So I did it. I listened to him. Six months, no running, no worries. He's the expert. I went, took my six months to the day I ran around the oval and my ITB hurt on the very first 10 meters and it didn't let up. Now that's because... I gave my power to somebody else, right? Now, I'm not saying don't believe what everybody tells you. I'm saying once you have a diagnosis, then research as many different ways, no matter how weird and wonderful that people have used that could potentially help you. If you then, if, it, if it's really wacky, you might want to discuss it with your therapist um, and then see if they can you know, help you realize that it's either it's a completely wacky or I mean who knows what's going to work right who knows what's going to work so that's just the caveat I want to do diagnosis first education second so once you've really accepted it and you started to work with um, physio or um, therapist in some way for, for starting your rehab I really want you to be careful of the judgment that you put on yourself, right? So the judgment can be, why did I do that? Why did I do the extra session? Or why did I do that speed work? Or I knew I shouldn't have done the strength work, then the speed work, then the strength work, and then the long run, and then the tempo run. I, you know what? How stupid was I being? If only I hadn't done that. And then that's the judgment that you're putting on yourself that is going to have, I guess the best way to say is, is it helpful? If it's helpful that you're saying to yourself, you need to learn from this so you don't do it again, that's helpful. But if you're just going to continually hammer yourself for making a mistake um, because you, you know, you train too much or you overtrain or you did the session that you probably shouldn't have done, right? Just be gentle on yourself. I'm going to take you to some research from two researchers in 2019 called Cheadle and Kuzma, K-U-Z-M-A, and they wrote this excellent paper. Um, I'm just going to get the reference for you. Uh, rebound, train your mind to bounce back stronger from sports injuries, right? Now, in this article, it was fascinating because they came up with these two um, uh, uh, character traits of what helped people heal 
faster and bounce back stronger, as in rebound from the injury. And the two traits they came up with, they labeled hardiness and commitment, right? But part of the, the interesting part of their hardiness was self-compassion. Now, I thought this was fascinating, right? Because what they said, the people who healed faster were the ones that when they had self-compassion as they approached their injury as a challenge rather than a threat. So the people who had the hardiness and the commitment. So the commitment was, I'm going all in. I'm injured and I'm going to go all in on this to actually um, to heal and to rehab myself and to get back out there. But the the... The hardiness, compact, the hardiness factor, which I really love, was that self-compassion, which was, yeah, I made a mistake. I'm human. I love training. I trained too much. I overtrained. I gave myself this. Now, let's get on with it. Let's take control of this injury. Let's commit to it and, and really go into the challenge. So be careful of how much you judge yourself um, because of the actions. Get the lesson and then move on. I'm going to talk about projection now because projection, there's, there's kind of two ways I think about projection. It's a term in psychology, but it can also mean future projection. So in psychology, projection is, um, this is from Jungian psychology, strap yourself in if you've never heard me say this because it can sometimes hit you quite a way. Projection, so Jungian psychology says there's nothing outside of you that's, that's not that's not you. So basically what I mean is everybody out in the world, everything in the world is a mirror to your internal reality. Now, where this can really strike you is the person who pisses you off actually pisses you off because you project your unwanted parts onto them. That's the projection part of them. You see all the parts in them that you disown in yourself and that's why you don't like them because it's safer to not like somebody else than own the unwanted parts. So the person who's rude, who's obnoxious, who's arrogant, who um, doesn't think about other people, they're all your unowned parts that you project onto somebody else and because you've disowned them in yourself. And once you've owned them in yourself, once you've realized there's a part of you that's arrogant, that's obnoxious, that only thinks about yourself um, and doesn't think about others and all the other things that you don't like about them, once you can own those parts, you will no longer hate that person because you will understand um, that it's a part of you. Now, I'm sorry if this is the first, first, first time you've heard this. This can be quite confronting. But that's how projection is. So projection is I project onto the world uh, my internal reality. So another, another example for this would be um, if you think that the world is helpful uh, and a good place and people are generally kind, then that's, that's your projection onto the world, right? You put that out there that, you know what, people will probably help me um, the people are generally kind and people are thoughtful and you know they're, 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 but if you think that the world is hostile and people will rip you off and they'll break into the car your house and they'll take advantage of you and they're they're only out you know for themselves or to take to you know that's a zero-sum game then that's also your projection onto the world right so that's psychological projection um, sometimes can be hard reality to, to face. Um, and again, it's only a theory from Jung, but it's pretty widely accepted. The third thing I'm going to throw at you just to balance this out is what they call golden shadow projection, which is, and this might help you um, to understand it. If you see someone you admire 
and you look up to and you think that they're wonderful, that they represent all of the parts of yourself that are beautiful and golden and brilliant that you haven't disowned. Sorry, that you haven't owned, that you have disowned. So you project them onto somebody else so that you can admire them in somebody else because you haven't owned them in yourself. So think about that person that you admire, their traits, whatever they are. They're brilliant. They're kind. They're kind. They're compassionate. They're patient. They're you know um, gutsy or they're um, whatever. You think about that person and, you, and, and name the trait in them that you admire. That is a trait in yourself that you haven't yet owned in yourself. Oh, no, I'm not that. They, they are, but I'm not. I, I could, you know, they're, they're really, they're committed. Oh, I'm not committed. They're consistent. I, you know, I, I, I goof off all the time. That's the other side of projection. So consider that. And there's a reason you haven't owned it. Either you're unaware of it or it's dangerous if you do own it because then if you own your brilliance, you know, there's a responsibility to to own it and use it and um what could you be capable of if you owned it? And this is a lot of the work I did with Claudine Chi was owning my brilliance and stepping into my power and and stopping putting it on my competitors and seeing that they were more brilliant than me and bringing it back and saying, you know what, I I am good enough and um, I can do this just as, mo- as much or more than them. Right, that's a bit of a rabbit hole, but I hope that you understand that side of projection. The other side of projection is projection projecting your current reality into the future. So this can really mess you up as an athlete, right? Because if I've got this injury, it means I can't do X race in three months time. Okay. But the worst projection is I'll never be able to compete again at the level I was, right? Or I'll never be able to do another race. This injury means that I can't ever push it hard again, or I can't ever go as long as I want to, or I can't ever X, Y, Z. That's the projection that we want to rein in and stop you from doing because it doesn't mean any of those things. It means you've got something going on right now. You can heal it. You can strengthen it so, it, so you grow from it so then you can go out and be better than you've ever been. Beware of that second type of projection. Um, I hope those two ways really make sense to you. Um, I just mentioned, so rain in your mind is Claudine Chi's um, phrase for how we bring our mind back to the present moment. When your mind drifts, which it will, and it starts to project, or it starts to blame and judge yourself, or it starts to um, wish it hadn't happened or deny what's going on, our job is to bring it back to here and now. What is my current reality? Can I, what can I do? Can I run? I can, but I'll make the injury worse, right? Can I walk? Yeah, walking's fine. Can I walk? No. Okay, can I swim? Can I ride a bike? You know, can I go surfing? Can I, you know, do whatever? And and really bring yourself back to taking control because your mind is going to fly off into all of these places and really give yourself a hard time when you're going through this injury. So what I want you to do out of this piece is remember to rein that mind back in and and. I always think about that racehorse and reining it back in and saying, here's where we are. What can I do? Let's not focus on what I can't do. Let's focus on what I can do and, and kind of set your goals and just start doing the work. Um, I want to talk about support next. So 
if you're currently rehabbing an injury or haven't started yet or you know that you're injured, I want you to have somebody that you can talk to about it because we need you to voice and because sometimes all those thoughts are, are running around your head because you haven't put them into words and that's why you know therapy works with people because they, they can talk and get the thoughts out so if you can just find somebody who has the patience to listen to you about why you can't run and how bad your life is uh, it's really important to you i know i laugh but it's really important to you so step one for this is get a piece of paper and write down all of the things that running means to you and write them out. It means I get uh, running with my group. It means I, I'm disciplined because I get out of bed before work and I do my run. It means I run every, you know, three times a week. It means to me my health. It means my, um, my long, you know, longevity, um, it's the center point of my life. Everything revolves around my, my running. And then dump it all out on the page. What does it mean to you to go to, to, to run and then to lose the ability to run? Okay, so and then I want you to talk to somebody about that. Even you say, can I just dump on you for five minutes how I'm feeling because I'm really up. This means a lot to me. And I, I'm feeling really down, and I just need to express this um, without you trying to fix it, so that I can process it with a view to being heard and understood. And I know that's a you know a scary question to ask somebody, but if you frame it like that, it's really important to you. It's just important to have somebody who cares about you enough to listen to your woes. Now, here's the next thing. I keep hearing people minimizing their own suffering, and I'm good at this myself, by saying, oh, it's a first world problem, or you know what, there's people who are worse off than me, or um, you know what, <laughs> all it is for me is I can't run, but there's people who are really suffering in the world. That's true, and I'm not saying it's not, but don't deny the importance to you in your life of what this means to you, and don't deny it by comparing it to somebody who's in a worse position. You can do that once You've, you've acknowledged yourself and the loss that it is to your life. Then you can start. Then the comparison's good because it helps you um, to, to normalize and to, to, to realize that you don't actually have anything <laughs> that bad going on. But if you do it before you feel the emotion, you're going to deny the emotion, um, which is one of the worst things you can do to any human being, let alone yourself. So I want you to feel it. I want you to express it and share it with somebody and share your fears. You know what? I'm really scared because I'm not running. I, I think I might start to go down the, you know, I'll probably start to drink more, might start putting on weight or I might lose my, you know, I'm, I'm worried that if I have a month off, it's going to take me six months to get back to where I was and express the fears, right? When the fear shared is like dissolves into the universe somewhere. But feel the emotion and feel what it means to you before you start to try and reframe it and, com- and compare it to, you know, others. I hope that makes sense because that it's really important to you to you acknowledge that it's not just about strapping on your shoes and going for a run. Okay, I'm going to move on to um, the identity behind that last statement. So if you can't run, then what are you losing from an identity perspective? Are you still a runner? Mm, I don't know. 
it's up to you. Like, are you still a runner who's not currently running or do you stop being a runner as soon as your running habit stops? If you're, are you still an athlete? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just currently injured or you know what? That means that if I'm not running, that means, you know, I've stopped being an athlete, right? So these definitions are really, really important for you to understand yourself um, from an identity perspective. What does it mean for me as a, in my core that I'm injured and and really it's it's up to each of us to get that understanding because the loss of identity is the deeper work um, ar- around this. Um, so I just I'm going to leave that there, but it's really consider that what it might mean to you as a person. Um, Self talk. This will be linked to those. What does it mean to me and my identity? So. Be aware of the self-talk and I want you to start to control the self-talk. So let's look at a couple of examples. Um, um, Because I'm older, injury takes longer to heal, right? So you you might be thinking about this, uh, that's a belief, but the self-talk might be, you know, I'm older so it's going to take longer. So I really want you to, to, to hear it, but then have your own statements in, such as, you know, every day I'm getting stronger. Every day I'm rehabbing this and that means I'm going to come back even better. Because of this injury, I'm going to be wiser and stronger than I've ever been. Even if you want to come back to something like this too shall pass, same as everything else in life, everything gets ironed out eventually in time. This will pass. I'm going to, you know, I'll be running again and in fact I'm going to be better. Injury is part of the running process. These are all <clears throat> self-talk mantras you can have, pardon me, to, to take control of the, the, they call them automatic negative thoughts in sports psychology, ants, A-N-T. So they're talking about squashing ants, squashing the automatic negative thoughts and coming up with something to squash them with. So having something like, I'm doing the work and that's what I can control. I can, I can control what I do right now and that could be, you know, I do my strength work or I'm as I'm making my cup of tea, I'm going to do five single leg squats or you know, this is just an example, right? Have that self-talk. I'm going to come back stronger, just like such and such did. Rob Crow is someone who came back. In my, in my uh, memory, he's one that stands out, had a significant knee injury at Leadville and then came back and won it, I think, a year later. Really great story. Uh, but but if, if you think about someone who's done it, that you can say, I'm just like them, that role modeling can really help. So be aware of your self-talk, rein it in, squash that ant, automatic negative thought, and have something to replace it with that I'm on top of this, or I'm in control of this, or um, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me, (laughs) right? If you can get it to there, I'm going to come back stronger. I'm already wiser, um, more rounded now that I've been through injury, this will never happen to me again because I, I know what to look for. I'm going to train smarter from now on. Um, blah, blah, blah. There's my, pardon me for saying that again. There's my habit coming out. Have at least one self-talk statement that you use throughout the day um, to, to squash those ants. I can't do a podcast on injury without talking about uh, someone who's had a significant impact on my life, and that is Dr. John Sarno. Um, a f- dear friend of mine introduced me to Dr. John Sarno's work um, in 2011 when I was going through another um, injury phase. 
Um, again, this might not land with you, so you know, happy just ditch it if you want. But maybe this has got something for you. If you want to look up the work of Dr. John Sano, he wrote a pivotal book called Healing Back Pain. Sano was a back surgeon. Uh, I'm not exactly sure of you know what it's called a back. Uh, he, he was a surgeon. He used to operate on people's backs to take away their back pain. What he realized after, I don't know, 20 years of that, you have to look at his story, was that he didn't fix anyone through surgery. And so he started to, re- to ask the question, what was really causing their back pain? And he wrote this book, Healing Back Pain. Now, in that book, um, he talks about any pain that persists in the body for longer than six weeks is due to unexpressed um, emotion that's trapped in the body somewhere. Again, take it or leave it. If it doesn't strike you, then you know, fast forward. But if you're interested in this stuff, it's really made a difference for me. So Sano says he's got a, they call it TMS, tension myositis syndrome, which basically means a mild oxygen deprivation to the area of the body um, through the emotion that he expressed as rage. So he says, basically, any... Any pain that's trapped in the body for longer than six weeks is due to unexpressed anger. So if you're open to this stuff, maybe you could just ask yourself, you know, where, what am, why always start with what am I angry about? Or where am I not expressing my anger? Where am I, you know, what's, what am I holding on to that I need to express to somebody or, or to put a boundary in place or to deal with or to say no to or to stop that thing or to say no to, you know, whatever it is, consider if you're open to it that long-term pain could be due to this. Now, there's so much information out there. He's got these 12 um, steps to dealing with it. If you Google Dr. John Sarno, S-A-R-N-O, uh, it's definitely worth considering if you haven't had any luck and you've, and you've still got long-term pain in your body. And once again, if that's not for you, then don't worry about it. We're gonna, I'm going to give you heaps more stuff. Um, I want to talk about stress. So quite simply, your body doesn't know the difference between training stress and life stress. So what I mean by that is if you're doing... If you're tra- currently training for, say, you know, your first 5K or maybe even, you know, a half or, or marathon, you're putting a training load on your body, right? And that's, that's, think of it as like carrying a load, right? I'm training X amount of kilometers per week. Um, I'm, you know, sleeping or I'm only sleeping this much or I'm doing this much strength work or blah, blah, blah. There's a, st- my apologies, there I go again. That's the, that's the tra- the training load on your body, the stress load in your body. Now, if you're currently going through stress at work or in your relationship or at home or in some other area, um, that's also stress load. Now, your body doesn't know the difference between those two stressors. It just puts them all into the bucket of stress. The reason I'm telling you this is because the higher stress in your body, there's a strong correlation between stress and injury. So what can you do about it? Number one always is awareness. The awareness that you might have a higher load of stress going on in your body can, can just be enough to, um, to understand that, hey, I'm, I'm likely 
you know, not likely, so more likely to, to get, you know, injured due to the, my higher stress load at the, at the moment. So if you, you know, works hard, there's a loved one going through some some turmoil or, or pain in your life that you're, you're supporting, um, it's, the, yeah, the, one of the analogies that I don't really like, but it helps you understand it, is you've got a stress bucket, right? And there's all these things are being poured into it, you know, work, kids, um, um, your sick loved one, um, training load, uh, you know, all the things get tipped in this bucket. Now, if the bucket overflows, that's when something, you know, reaches a tipping point. You know, you get injured or something else happens, uh, you get sick or whatever it is for you. But what they don't tell you is drill some holes in the bucket, right? Let the water out of the bucket. Now, that's through your coping mechanisms. That's through having someone to support you, um, having ways like so, mindfulness, meditation, yoga, relaxation that, that you can empty the bucket of stress. Uh, that is a critical thing for injury avoidance. And I, I really just want to put that out as a general. Um, if you're training, it's also okay to relax. <laughs> Robert D. Costello taught me this in one of the um, books about him. They said, what was the difference between your build-up to the 1982 Commonwealth Games and um, the competitors? And I, I, I'm misquoting here, but basically said, oh, that's easy. He said, I learned to relax. And I'm guilty of this. That's a word that's foreign to me. But if, if, you, if you've got a lot of stress in your life and that bucket is filling up, this is, this is really, it's not selfish to find ways to drill holes in the bucket Look after yourself because that that way you're also looking after the people around you. Now, I'm a career firefighter and we get taught this a lot in relation to traumatic incidents and post-traumatic stress disorder is find ways to release that emotion and, and re- put holes in your bucket if you like and um, deal with it from a personal perspective in a way that is only for you? Is it going for a surf? Is it reading a book? Is it disappearing to the mountains for three days on your own with nobody else around you? Is, you know, is it talking to, to a friend about it? Is it talking to a psych? Whatever it is, you'll know, well, hopefully you can find a way or you know a way for yourself. But the correlation between being stressed and injury is well known and researched. So consider that as well. Quick one on your relationship with pain. I I do need to mention this, even though it doesn't feel like it's in the right spot. Thinking about pain as being a signal that originates in the brain, believe it or not, it doesn't start at the site of pain. It's a nerve signal which fires from the site to the brain. And the pain is originated in the brain, which is basically an alarm system to pay attention to a potential threat. And I want you to take that on board that your relationship to that alarm signal is one to investigate. So you all know people who are like, oh, I've got a little bit of pain. I'm gonna, that means I should stop, right? And this might even happen in a race. Oh, I'm going through a down. I feel, I feel sick. That means I should stop, right? That's the relationship with pain or, or with the sickness or something. But I want you to understand 
and just just reconsider that pain is a signal to pay attention and I want you to think about your relationship to that signal and how you respond to it. Have you in the past, for example, I know someone I'm thinking about who has DNF races consistently and always says, you know, the pain was too much or I couldn't get through it and DNF'd and then the cycle continues with the regret, you know, a day later, a week later and holding on to regret that, you know what, maybe I could have got through it. But their relationships never change with pain because they keep doing the same cycle over and over again. There's no, I haven't got any answers for you with this. I just want you to understand what pain is and what does it mean to you when it starts. All right, a few more ideas I'm going to throw at you just to see if any of them actually resonate with you. Um, find something else to sink your teeth into. This is uh, something that's really powerful. A lot of people that I've actually um, known and worked with over the years where you're so focused on your race or your training or that part of your life that you forget that everything you do in life comes at a cost to something else. So there's some part of your life that is not getting as much attention as it could be because you're putting your focus and your attention into training, into uh, all of your, you know, your, your goals, which is the you know, type of people that we are who listen to this podcast. So this could be a time where you shift your focus onto some things that you could possibly start to you know, enhance in your life. And those things could be you know, go harder at work or something, you, you know, focus on at work or take on another project um, or put time into family or, you know, special time with kids, your kids and, and really, you know, maybe create some adventures with them and or, or connect with them somehow or, or just take on some other project, family or work or home related. Maybe, maybe your backyard needs a facelift or, the you know, the, the house needs a uh, a lick of paint or something. I don't know. Just whatever it is for you, consider shifting your focus and all the energy you normally put into, which is currently on hold, and put all that energy into something else and see what you can create. The next thing I want to throw at you is consider the fact that rehabilitation is now your sport. So in the interim, you've you've shifted from training for that race that you had or training for whatever it was, and now. Focus on excellence in rehab. Pour your, pour your energy into being the best rehab that your physio has ever had and just go hard at it. Do every exercise as well as you can, exactly as prescribed and better without overdoing it. Us type A personalities want to think that if something's good, then more of it should be better. But just consider that really, really take pride in your rehab and not throw out everything which I've seen some athletes do. If they're going so hard, they're eating well, they're sleeping well, they're not, you know, drinking as much, they're doing all the right things. As soon as they're injured, boom, they throw it all out, and they just let it all go. And they, and you know, it's 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 like an all or nothing. But instead of that, throw it into excellence and rehab. Keep your good habits, because when you can keep those good habits, you bounce back faster. Now, let's talk briefly about that. Yeah, the, the fear is I'm going to get unfit really quickly. And I'm going to say a few things on this. There are so many stories out there about athletes who have come back from injury and won races or done PBs or felt better or come back as a more complete athlete. So 
let go of the fear. Maybe your VO2 max is going to drop a little bit. Maybe you're going to lose your top end speed a little bit over, you know, a few weeks or months of, of rehab. But ultimately, your focus and your, your mental game and your self-talk should be on, I'm using the word should strongly for you, I'm coming back better from this. This is an opportunity for me to grow as an athlete and be a more rounded athlete. I'm going to come back. Watch out. Here I come. I just touched on mental imagery. Um, this is something that is not often spoken about, but mental imagery in injury rehabilitation is something that is untapped and really unstudied as much as, um, well, not in the mainstream anyway, not too much that I can find. So what am I talking about? Mental imagery. If you're using imagery when you're doing your goal setting to imagine yourself you know, building all the great habits in your life, training, um, doing all the good things, doing your race, watching yourself cross the finishing line, building in all of the feelings, uh, the colors and the sounds and the self-talk that goes along with it. That's leading you towards your goal, right? I want you to apply the same structure to your injury management. So this depends on yourself and, and what you believe and everything. But let's start with a study because I, I have cherry-picked the study to back up my belief here. But um, there was a, there's a decent study, um, and this was published in the my apologies, Athletes' Use of Mental Skills During Sport Injury Rehabilitation. Um, 1,283 athletes uh, from all diverse sports who were injured took part in this study. It's a good, good um, sample size, right? And it's really difficult to do a sample, sorry, to do a study on something like um, using mental skill, m- mental imagery to help rehabilitation. Because ultimately, you know, you'd have 10,000 athletes, they all had the same study, and you'd bl- break them into groups of three, you'd have a control group that did nothing, you'd have somebody that um, did certain amount of mental skills, and another group that did mental skills every single day, and you'd put the three um, results alongside each other and come up with a result. Unfortunately, we don't have, you know, uh, 10,000 people who have all got a, um, a torn hamstring on the right side at grade two that they can all compare against. But this study took 1,283 athletes and taught them mental skills um, to visualize their injury healing faster. And you, so the top three skills I used was um, goal setting, positive self-talk, and imagery. So they visualize the, the, Im- the um, injury healing faster. They use self-talk. You know, I'm getting stronger every day. My, um, my injury is healing faster, and my injury is healing strong, and, and every day it's getting stronger and stronger. And just to pause there, combat that what you might be saying to yourself when you're injured, which is, oh, I can't do the race I wanted. I'm my, you know, my fitness is going backwards. This always happens to me. Um, why does it always happen just when I get strong? Um, or worse, worse, worse things. So we're, we're combating those, those negative thoughts, those ants. We're squashing them and we're putting in these ones in this study. So positive self-talk, imagery, and goal setting. So then you can imagine um, like like these athletes were taught, your injury getting better, telling yourself it's getting better, and having goals like you know this week I'm going to be able to do um, ten hip hitches, or this next week I'm going to go for for twenty glute bridges or, or whatever. Now this study found that of the twelve hundred eighty three athletes, seventy one point six percent of them indicated that mental skills help them rehabilitate faster. Again, 
I don't know how they actually measured it. I'm not going to go into the depths of it. I definitely have cherry-picked this to, um, to help you. But that's a considerable number of people. Um, and you would assume that most of them, and in fact, it actually said that only a small proportion of them had ever used mental skills during, um, during training, let alone rehab before. So they, this is all new to them and they felt that it benefited. So ultimately, it doesn't matter if it works or not. If it builds your belief, um, that's what we're really looking for in this game. So considering your own use of mental imagery, try doing it with your injury. You can imagine the muscle fibers coming together every day and getting stronger and stronger. You can imagine, you know, the lymphatic system taking away this and, and, and the swelling and the and all that kind of stuff. And you can do it at that depth at the cellular level if that's your if that's your jam. Or you can use the self-talk, um, or you can set those incremental goals for yourself. All I'm saying is take these options and consider applying them because the, if you don't have a structure and you don't have a plan, you're just at the whim of your day-to-day um, mindset. And, and really, this is something that you can control and build and practice in your, in your rehab. Right, moving on. Um, volunteer. For a race, so I've done this in the past, and some of my best memories in my ultra running life, career, whatever you want to call it, have been from the times I've been either injured or not running due to you know uh, when the kids were really young and I wasn't training, or uh, being sick, or, or some reason I couldn't do the training, and instead of uh, racing, I crewed for a friend, or I volunteered at an aid station, or did something else to to help. Um, the event, I tell you, if it's some of my best memories uh, are from those times of spending time with a crew at Costa Cozzi, or of um, volunteering at a race and handing out drinks, and the, those kind of things still keep you connected and give you a look at the other side. Helping a race director, you know, could, um, build a race, or, or volunteering in an aid station and, and being that positive influence for all the people who are, you know, coming through the aid station and hunting. So. Don't just ditch your running identity and career and um, eat tubs of ice cream while watching terrible Netflix. Put your focus into something else and and really work on that aspect of you um, to be a more well-rounded athlete, runner, community person, family person, so that when the time comes that you're ready to start training again, you're ready and you've come back more evolved than before the injury. I'm just going to leave you with a bit of woo-woo stuff, right? If you were given this gift somehow and for some reason, what is the purpose of this injury? And I want you to consider that without trying to answer it straight away. Um, was Was it a signal or a message for you somehow to do something different or to slow down or to stop or to learn or what what was the purpose? I don't want to put any words into the answers here other than ask you if it was a gift really badly wrapped up and given to you, what was it for? And just maybe journal on it or consider it on your next run. And right there, I'm going to leave you with mindfulness. If you're injured 
and if you're currently healing, I really encourage you to practice that mindfulness and to come back to some way that you recenter yourself to the now. So is that listening to audio or is it sitting quietly with yourself? Is it taking a pen and paper, putting on some nice music and writing down things like, what do I really want in life? Or what is the message from this injury? Or what am I not seeing that if I were to see would change everything for me? Come to that place of acceptance of what's happening and the appreciation for it and get the gifts that are there for you. Um, Because you're going to come back stronger. And I need you to know that. And look at all the people who have come back from injury wiser, stronger, faster. And they've built themselves on it. And they've they've really grown from the injury. And that's who you're going to be. And that's the place to know it. So that when it's 12 months or two years and you're looking back on where you are now injured, you're like, oh, wow, look where, look how far I've come and look how far I've grown. And that's, that's your future, right? And that's what I want you to know and to take control of and to commit to your rehab, to your recovery and for looking after the things in your life that maybe weren't getting looked after because of the training load that you were doing and focusing on those things. And you know what those things are if you're injured like me, which is what I've been doing for the past few weeks. So thanks for listening. This was a little bit meandering and a little bit all over the place. But as always, my goal is to give you as many practical things that might help you. And if you got one thing out of this podcast that you can say, you know what, I'm just going to try that and see what it works, then then, I, then I'm feel like my job is done. All right. Hope you're doing well. You're not alone through injury. And um, just know that this too shall pass. You'll grow just as I will. And we'll all come back stronger and better. Thanks for listening to the Mindset for Runners podcast. I hope you got something practical and useful out of this podcast or something inspiring to help you get out for your next run. If you have a question about Mindset for Runners or athletes in general, please email me at robmason.run at gmail.com and I'll answer your question on an upcoming podcast. If there's anybody you know who could benefit from the information I share in this podcast, please share it with them. See you next time.